0: This is the Action Network Podcast. It's good. <laughs> winner, winner, trick dinner. Yeah. Four. You got real
1: talent. Don't concentrate on golf.
2: What's up, everybody? And thanks once again for joining the Action Network Podcast, the golf edition. I'm Jason Sobel from Golfbet, along with, as always, my friend, Justin Ray, the head of content from the 15th Club. And we've got so much to talk about. We're going to break down this week's Players' Championship, which uh, I know Justin feels this way, and I've thought this for years. It is the hardest tournament to break down on the annual schedule. So we're going to try our best to help you make some money this week. And we're going to make our DFS lineup. We're going to go through all the tiers of players that we like and dislike this week. But first, let's get... A little review back to this week's Arnold Palmer Invitational. And, uh, Jay Ray, thanks again, as always, for joining yes, me on here. And uh, what's going on? How are you? And what do you think of this weekend? Well, one of us uh, picked Bryson
1: DeChambeau to win on mm. the gimme. I won't let uh, – I won't tell the folks who it was, but – One of us had him as the winner. Honestly, though, it was a little begrudgingly, though, because I like Fitzpatrick a lot, just like you and Amanda
2: Rose did. Uh, But I pinned myself into it and ended up uh, working out. So come on. There's an asterisk next to this, because on the show, you said, you know, I don't really know if I love him. I just want to be a little different. So I'll take him here. And you took him and it worked out. So these are mere details, Jason. The history books will show
1: you go to the window, you get a ticket. And you cash it in. You don't need to <laughs> give them your reasoning behind yeah. it. You know? yeah. I don't have to show my work like it's sixth grade math class. No. Congratulations uh, to Oh, thank you so much. So I I really enjoyed the week. Bryson is, you know, he's very polarizing, obviously. Um, there's people who find it kind of agitating, people who don't like his style of play. I think it's endlessly fascinating. I think yeah. anytime he's in contention, he did a lot of things at uh, API last week that really were reminiscent of what he did at Wingfoot, where entering the tournament, he might not be the first name you have on your radar. But when you think about the golf course, you're like, all right, the rough's going to be long and penalizing. Bryson can, you know, hit his sand wedge out of the rough closer than a lot of guys can hit seven and six irons out of the fairway. It kind of makes sense when you can reverse engineer it. And, you know, I just thought it was just the way he went about attacking the course was fascinating. He was absolutely nails on Sunday. Only one bogey, the fewest of anybody in the field uh, made those two really long putts to really get him going. As much as I would have wanted to see Lee Westwood win, I think I wanted to see my uh, ticket cash a little bit, a little bit more.
2: Yeah, no, congratulations to you. That is good play, and uh, yeah, maybe we should have seen it coming. Very much like a U.S. Open, where basically the theory is not everyone's going to be in the fairway the entire day, and so if you're going to hit it in the rough, give me the big strong guy who's able to muscle something out of the rough. And we saw that uh, on nine on Sunday, where he, you know, almost used that Arnie-like kick. Uh, in his follow through to, to muscle one onto the green short game was very good. His putting is way better than he gets credit for. And the fact that he works at it so much and two things I will, I will mention about Bryson. And first of all, we're, we're recording this Monday evening uh, earlier today on hitting the green, the serious XM PGA tour channel radio show that I co-host with Michael Collins. Michael was out at TPC Sawgrass. We're three minutes into the show. Bryson goes walking past on the range, All I hear Michael say as we're on air is, yo, what's up, man? Come on over here. Here, grab a headset. I'm like, who is – like, it could have been a million different people who he's getting on air and giving a headset to. And all of a sudden, Bryson walks over, and Bryson is great. And I have never had a bad interaction with Bryson. So I know there are a lot of people out there. He's very polarizing. A lot of people say, ah, I don't like that guy. I'm not going to tell you you have to like him. But I will tell you that as someone who's dealt with him on many occasions – I've always felt that he is open, he's honest, he's loquacious, he's very good in front of a camera and microphone, and he was once again today when we had him. And two other things that I really like about Bryson. The first is the physical part is something we talk about in regard to Bryson a lot. What doesn't get mentioned is the mental energy that he puts into every shot, every round, every event. There is stuff swirling around Bryson every time he's about to hit a shot To the point where it's exhausting just watching him, Justin, and for him to play that way, not only play that way, but succeed in playing that way, I think is a testament to his mental fortitude. And I would say the same exact thing about Jordan Spieth, who's got a lot of things going on every time he's about to hit a shot. And the other one, and I wrote a piece uh, that Bryson helped me with last year for the Action Network, and our motto is sort of bet on yourself. At some point, all of us in our careers and our personal lives, we bet on ourselves and take a little risk, a little gamble. And I thought that no one personified that more in golf than Bryson. the fact that he was a top 10 player in the world and decided, you know, if I'm going to improve, I have to change my body. I have to change my swing. I have to change my swing speed. I have to change everything I'm doing. And it was a massive risk. I mean, he was a really, really good world-class player. And if this didn't work out, he could have lost his career. Maybe he never gets it back. There's no guarantees. Instead, he bet on himself and he is absolutely crushing that bet just like you crushed your bet on him this week. <laughs> Think about all the players over the years who have changed their bodies. Countless ones tried to
1: change their golf swings, and it's a huge risk and it doesn't pay off. And this guy did it, and it not only paid off, Like he kind of seamlessly took the next elevation in his career arc where it just kind of, you know, he turned himself into, from a very good player who had wanted a pretty good clip at a young age, U.S. amateur champion, NCAA champion, all that, to a guy who could be the next world number one. And he, it all completely paid off. I'm with you hundred percent on that betting on yourself. Like if you're, if you're somebody who's a proponent of rolling back the equipment, he's like case study. Number one for why you don't find the modern pro game is entertaining or something. I, it, I'm not part of that group per se, in terms mm-hmm. of who thinks it's a problem the way he, he attacks, a course, you have got to respect everything he's put himself through and done to get to this point in his career. Look, you may be tired of hearing about all his irons being the same length, but look, he's still the only dude out there doing that. From that to the bulking up and the distance to the advanced approach to analytics at a very young part in his career to, I mean, all the different things that he's taken on. I mean, you've got to commend him for it. And he's still playing within the rules of the game. And you know, doing it in a completely kind of unprecedented, different way. And it's just all kudos to him. And hey, I'm like you, like Bryson, I'm someone who's on himself too and taken a few risks along my mm-hmm. career path. So I'm, you know, I, I admire that immensely in him. And, you know, I give him nothing but respect for what he's accomplished so far in his career.
2: I, I always think it's a little strange that he doesn't get more respect for it. I mean, Frank Sinatra saying, I did it my way. And people will go to karaoke bars and bellow it thinking like, that's me. I do it my way. And people admire others who go off the beaten path a little bit and think outside the box and live their lives a little bit differently. And Bryson does that in our game of golf. And maybe it speaks volumes about golf itself and the people who watch it, but Bryson goes on a little bit of a different path and everyone goes, Ooh, I don't like that. That's not the same way everybody else does it. I don't think that's going to work for him. You know what? It's working. And, And I guarantee that right now Bryson has more influence over what the, 12 year old junior golfer is going to do and going to become over the next 10 years than anybody else out there.
1: Yeah. It's, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, I, I don't, I was among the skeptical people when he kind of started going through this body transition because of just all the evidence you have throughout just, you know, covering golf through your career, all the years and years of guys who have tried to find distance, chase distance and, or chase something in their golf swing. And it just, I mean, the first one that comes to my mind, Martin Keimer trying to change his shot shape so he can compete at Augusta National. And he hasn't won since he won at Pinehurst. I mean, that's just one. I'm not to pick on Martin Keimer. He's had a great career. I'm just saying that the, the history is littered with examples of guys taking risks like that and it not paying off. And, I mean, he's, he's taken huge gambles in terms of his body and his swing and the unconventional approach. And, I mean <laughs> – if I'm him, I don't care if anybody doesn't like it because guess what? I just got another winner's check. I'm holding the trophy
2: on Sunday evening. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: This is Action Network podcast producer Matt Mitchell here to tell you our friends at BetMGM have a great new sign-up offer for our listeners, a $600 risk-free first bet. Here's how it works. If you don't already have an account at BetMGM, just sign up, make your first deposit, and place that initial wager. If the bet wins, you get all the money. If it doesn't win, BetMGM will refund you in free bets up to $600. It's that simple. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. BetMGM has been a great podcast partner, and they've got all the features gamblers like us love, like live betting and daily odds boosts, Plus, they're compatible with BetSync, so when you place a wager at BetMGM, that bet can automatically be tracked in your Action App. So open an account today and make your first bet risk-free up to $600. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. Now, back to the show.
2: Let's get to our five questions. I I think this is a good way to lead into some Players' Championship talk.
0: Five minutes, five questions you never asked.
2: I got to be honest with you. I get a little irritated when somebody calls me away from my golf. This
0: is Five Under.
2: I've got five questions for you. It's my turn this week. And uh, starting off, they're all Players' Championship related, so i'll start you with an easy one what is your personal favorite players championship moment oh i mean better than most the call one of the most famous in golf history 60 feet downhill triple breaker on the most infamous green in the sports
0: honey that's better than most how about him that is better than most better than most
1: yeah. better than most yeah. i mean i'm i know it's it's probably the easiest go-to answer there but yeah. that putt and then you know what we don't see that putt a hundred times a year watching golf if he doesn't win the tournament the next day and he did Good Point. i mean i the tiger woods putt and that call the gary Cote call that was so natural and i mean it was that that's my favorite moment i, I don't know if it can be top favorite one in person um you know, I have kind of an interesting one for my favorite moment in person there, be, being able to, being fortunate enough to go cover it for years. Um, Webb Simpson, after he won the Players' Championship a few years ago, kind of an unforgettable Sunday because he hit the gas pedal and just blew people away. It wasn't real super competitive, but he was so reflective on his journey as uh, with his putting um, on the, uh, he, he was up on set with us on live from, on Golf Channel, and I'm, I was the researcher on set. And he was so reflective and introspective and honest about how difficult it was after the anchor ban talking about, you know, his road to get back to being an elite player again. Um, I thought that was, that was a really cool, you know, it was just so, I, I used, so often you get canned responses from athletes and none of this was canned. It was all very honest and open and kind of made me a pretty big Webb Simpson fan at that moment. I was kind of a, kind of ambiguous towards him for years. And then, you know, you get to kind of hear a little bit about that and, you know, he turned me into a, a pretty big supporter Is out the gate. So, but, you know, he's such to be a good Tiger dude. better than most all time. Yeah,
2: that's that's a good one. I, I would go, and this is obviously like no one else's favorite moment, but I have a lot of history at the Players' Championship, a lot of history at TPC Sawgrass. Back in 2012, when Matt Kuchar won in his press conference afterwards, it was like the second question. Like, everyone's still there, and this is live on TV. And raised my hand, I grabbed the microphone, and... I started prefacing a question to Matt with, hey, you've come close a lot recently. And I was getting into the whole, but now you're a chat, And he goes, yeah, well, now I'm a winner, so go suck it, Sobel. (laughs) And everyone laughs, and I'm basically like, I'm not even sure what question I'm supposed to ask you now because it's not going to be any better than what you just said. So congratulations on your win.
1: That's an unexpected guy to get that retort from, too.
2: You know what? It is, but... (laughs) <laughs> Years later, I got mentioned on a Faraday episode with Matt Kuchery, where we told that story, and I got mentioned. So, I, you know, it was worth it all. Yeah, good
0: work.
1: You made you made a little history. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Question number two, uh, I guess, this is two different questions. But will or should the Players Championship ever become the fifth major? And if so, does somebody, and I don't even know who does this, who makes this decree, but are those majors retroactive? Like, does Tiger get two more?
1: Is Tim Clark a major champion? Is Craig uh, Perks Ricky? a major champion? That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Ricky. Um, so this is this is my immediate retort anytime that I'm asked this question. The term major championships didn't even exist in golf for the first hundred years of professional golf. Right. It wasn't a thing talked about, you know – they didn't. First of all, the Masters didn't exist until 1934. The first Open Championship was in 1860. Um, our our modern framing of what the major champions, championships are really came to be around like Arnold Palmer's era, around mm-hmm. the 60s, is where it really became solidified. Yeah, Bob as drum,
2: came, the writer with Arnold Palmer, sure on the plane. These are starter. the
1: major championships so, that we you know look to every year. You know, before that, in like the era of like Walter Hagen, the Western Open was as big a tournament as there was in the world. The Metropolitan Open was an enormous championship every year held in the New York area, I believe, pretty much every year. I mean, there was, I mean, the definition of what a significant championship is in golf is kind of a nebulous evolutionary type thing anyway. And so I think in the moment, you may say, no, it's ridiculous. It's always been this way. Like, no, actually, for the entirety of Jack Nicklaus's career, his, the major championship total included the U.S. amateur and the British amateur. And he was looking at I think he was looking at 20 was the the number he was chasing down or, Mm -hmm. I mean, he was, it was a big deal when Jack beat Bob Jones record for major championships and it wasn't the four tournaments we're talking about. So the history of it is completely all over the place. Now (laughs) we go back retroactively and give guys who won, you know, give Jim Barnes winning the PGA championship in the 1910s, you know, historically we call him a major champion, but in that time, it wasn't necessarily, they didn't have a label called major champion. It was, a, you know, so my opinion is just let it happen. If it happens, it happens. I mean, we don't need to have a, you know, a, a executive board, make the decision or whatever it might be. I think you can win different championships throughout golf and it gives you, you know, credit and it's, it's it has value. And, you know, these are different things you can put on your resume and it doesn't always have to be just this singular number, if that makes any sense. I don't know what your thoughts are on it, but I just know that historically, if you look at the history of the game, it's all kind of evolved and been kind of cloudy when you look at it. And it's not just set in stone. Hagan had 11 majors. He wouldn't even know what that was. You know, if you, if you woke him <laughs> up, you wouldn't have any idea. What are you talking about? Uh, I won the Western and the North and South and all these tournaments that we don't talk about anymore. Like, I don't know. I, I'm interested in what your take is on that.
2: I would like to see a skit with, like, you know, waking up Walter Hagen, like, asking him, like, you know, hey, what about all those majors you want? He's like, what the hell are you talking about, man? Have um, Hagen meet Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah. Uh, Hagen might
1: be able to eat as much steak as Bryson.
2: But, yeah. I mean. H- H- Hagen had some stories, man. I would yeah, like to for sure, hang right? with Hagen back in the day. Spend some um, time
1: on Google if you want to and, and learn some things about that guy. Yeah,
2: I, I am going to uh, be much less... Um, uh voluminous on this subject than you and just like no it's not a major it's sorry a major you got major. me wound and, up i apologize yes yeah, no i i know i did and i i appreciate the history lesson for a lot of people that don't know i no, it's not a major it's it's the best of the other ones i i don't like we've been doing this for 20 years now like i i just no it's not doesn't mean yeah. it's bad doesn't doesn't mean there's anything wrong it's with an it it's an awesome event it's a great, it's a event. great event yeah I don't
1: know why you need that tally. Like, you, like when the women's game introduced, okay, the Evian championship is a major. Like, okay, so I guess it means something. Like, we, I think a tournament builds its own reputation over time and becomes more and more significant over the years. And I think that's what the players is gradually building towards, yeah. if that makes sense. Instead yes. of just saying like, okay, we have a corporate sponsor and this is a major. Like it just doesn't, you know, that doesn't really do it for me.
2: I agree. All right. Question number three, 17th hole. That TPC Sawgrass, Great or gimmicky? Both.
1: <laughs> I think it's both. I think it is, you, look, you may say it's it's kind of like an over-hyped 130, 120, 140 yard shot into a relatively benign green, but if a guy's leading by one going to that tee on Sunday, it's still nerve-wracking because the water is everywhere. And I still think that there's value in it, and it's interesting, and Is it, is it a little bit gimmicky? Yeah. But sometimes gimmicks are fun and sometimes there's ways to, it can add value. It doesn't have to be something, you know, super rooted in, in history and authenticity or anything. I think it's a fun hole. I think it's really unique. I mean, it still has maintained its unique qualities throughout the
2: professional game. And so my, my get out of jail answer is that it's both. Okay. That's fair. You can hedge. We, we appreciate hedges here. I, I will say that professional golf is entertainment. Professional golf tournaments are TV shows. There's a reason why they're playing for $15 million this week. And it's not just because they're really good at golf. They could be really good at golf. And if it wasn't on TV and no one was buying tickets and no one was watching, they wouldn't be playing for $15 million. And so because it is entertainment, we're in the entertainment industry. uh, Look, it's fun. It's fun as a fan. When they get to 17, no one watches the leaders going to 17 on Sunday and says, uh, let me flip over and see what's going on in the hockey game. You're like, cool, they're going to 17. Like one guy might put two in the water. The other guy might birdie it. And the whole thing can flip. This is really fun to watch. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. And, yes, it can be gimmicky, but it's also great. It's, that, I, I think it's cool. Really cool environment if you ever get to go to the players.
1: It's not just sitting there and watching the 17th hole. But you see guys coming up 16 as well, yeah. depending on where your angle is. Mm-hmm. It's a great spot to camp out and just post up for several hours, you know, a couple yeah. of cold yeah. drinks with your buddies, bet on closest to the hole, you know, on 17th green. I mean, it's, it's a great spot. It's just, there's a really fun ambiance there. And I'm glad there's going to be some kind of fan presence. That's going to be, it's going to be fun to see.
2: Uh, I mean, as long as it's by safer. the way, this, this past weekend, can you imagine like the, the lack of drama, as opposed to what we had for Jordan's ace on number two on Saturday, and then Bryson driving it over the water on six. In each instance, those were magnified 10 times because of a fan presence, as opposed to just, Hey, they did it and there was no one else there watching.
1: Absolutely. It's the
2: same thing I felt after Jordan
1: went nuts Saturday in Phoenix. Just the fans were so additive to that entire day and experience. It just, it was such a jolt because we've been so used to watching empty stadiums and empty golf courses for, a year now. It's been. It's crazy that it's been a year at this point. But yeah, definitely enhance the entire thing, especially Bryson with the reaction at six after on Saturday and on Sunday, just tremendous.
2: And Westwood too on Sunday was just oh yeah, fantastic. Awesome. he's the best. He, he's so good. By the way, speaking of our friend Bryson, question number four. He's alluded to this already, but will Bryson drive it over the water on eighteen, left onto this little landing area on nine, and have a better angle? I I will tell you, Justin, that I have suggested this to other golf writers when standing on 18 before saying, everyone says what a tough tee shot it is going, you know, with a little draw down the right side of the 18th fairway Well, they just blow it way left. And then they've got a shot over and it's like, yeah, it's not the best angle over there. And you've got to be very precise with it, but, and you kind of leave yourself, if it's not perfect, you've got sort of a side hill left to right lie that's going to come out a little squirrely, but I, I don't think it's the worst idea. Do you think Bryson will do it? And by the way, last week on the gimme, you and I had a side action bet on whether Bryson would dry, try to drive the green on saying, I'm saying no action on that bet because he didn't drive the green, it's kind of like the driving. It's
1: kind of like 10 at Riviera where yeah. it's classified statistically as going for the green, but really you're just hitting into that big pit to the left, not pit, but that yeah. landing area to the left, kind of close to the green. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll take that. I'm with you. It's okay. kind of, he he was more aggressive than normal with his line, but he's still 80 yards back. He's not really going for the green. You can't land your tee shot on that trajectory and have it stop. And that's my question. Cause I don't personally remember ever. I'm sure I've walked over there before at Sawgrass, but like is, is the landing area – because Aaron Oberholzer, a, a buddy and a former colleague of mine, he texted out a photo of him and he said the landing area is like 12 feet by 12 feet. And, I mean, if you've got, if you've got Tiger Woods 13 for PlayStation 3 or something like that, you can have a little – you know, you can stick it there, but I don't know if a player can actually do that. I don't know what that landing area really looks like.
2: I believe there's some bleachers over there, some sort of signage or something that you could – maybe just blow it into the bleachers. I, and get a drop? Get a drop there. But the problem is, like, if you don't hit it, it basically you can't push it right. But anything left, I mean, the whole world is to the left. So right. you pull it left at all, and you're over there, you're going to have some sort of shot to the 18th grade. Yeah, why not?
1: Bryce, sure, Bryson's going to go for it. <laughs> just free range, free world golf, yeah. go wherever you want. You know, I, I love
2: it. I think it's fun. I mean – Grant, I I will give the the purist this that if we get to a point where a hundred people are doing are driving it over six at Bay Hill and driving it left of the water on eighteen at Sawgrass, like we might have an issue. But if it's one guy doing it, I think it's wildly entertaining.
1: Yeah, and it, honestly, that is that's one of the toughest closing tee shots, one of the toughest tee shots, period, on the PGA Tour. That narrow strip at 18 and if you miss it left obviously you're dead in the water If you miss it right you're into that native area over there and you're basically guaranteed bogey too so hey especially let's say he has a bad first round and uh, i'm gonna miss the cut uh well you know yeah. why, not? why not why not
2: what See do you got all right question number five and you've covered this event five or six times you said i've oh god i i'm so old i've probably covered this event
1: I've four, covered it in person times. five or six times. Yeah, well, I'm yes, in person. Years. That's what I'm
2: saying. Yeah. Yeah. All right, <laughs> favorite hang in panavidra Beach slash slash Jacks Beach.
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, we had a great our our hotel with Golf Channel was great. It was right on the water for years, and there's a nice mm-hmm. like strip of restaurants within walking distance. Mm-hmm. Um, back in oh, well. before COVID, when you can go enjoy things like that, <laughs> and uh, I mean, I, I don't think I had a favorite spot, but there was like a. Within walking distance, there's like a strip of four or five bars right there. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. But, I mean, that was go-to every night. It's, yep. you know, it's a pretty good spot.
2: Yep, yep. I will go. I mean, our the usual Wednesday tradition is uh, knock off early, go play golf at San Jose, which is about 30, 35 minutes away. Really cool classic course. Rocky's the GM over there, always takes care of us. Have a great time over there. Uh, head over to Taco Lou where we've got some connections over at Taco Lou. That's where we all were last year when basically the world shut down. I was sitting with five other golf writers at Taco Lou having tacos and beers. And all of a sudden, like the entire world is like, nope, ain't going to happen. Um, so I can get to the third leg of the, uh, the journey last year. But unusual times, uh, I would go straight from Taco Lou over to Lynch's Pub, which I believe is one Of the places that you were mentioning down there on Jack's Beach, and then stumble back to the courtyard at the end of the night, and you, you've had yourself a little night.
1: Man, I gotta be, a, I gotta just be a golf rider. I've spent too many hours in the you know media dining in the TV yeah, compound. No,
2: no, that's definitely not the way to do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so those are our five questions, and uh, let's uh, let's get to this field a little bit. I feel like we we need to get and in- get digging into this so all our odds as always presented by bet mgm here on the podcast and i'll go through it real quickly dustin johnson opens up at 11 to 1 bryson and john rom and rory all at 14 to 1 these numbers are very fluid i've seen a lot of movement already here early in the week justin thomas xander shoffley at 20 colin morikawa patrick cantley Webb Simpson at 22, Tony Finau, Victor Hovland at 25, and Jordan Spieth at 28-1. to So I'll start it off, Justin, by asking you, is there one main stat, main fact, main something that you look at this week? As we started off the podcast tonight saying, hey, this is a really, really hard one to prognosticate. How do you figure it out? Where where do you start the week? So
1: for TPC Sawgrass, your short answer is, Absolutely not. There is no <laughs> one statistic that can give you a crystal ball into what's going to happen. Um, since 2000, there have been seven players ranked 40th or lower in the world ranking to win here, and seven players in the top 10 who have won here. Cool. I okay. was doing some research for uh, the work I do for Sky Sports, and uh, the strokes gained T to green leaders per round at the players since 2013 is an amazing eclectic list. So these are the guys' best T to green at the same golf course since 2013 among guys mm-hmm. at least 12 rounds rory's first boo weekly is second Oof. tommy fleetwood third okay adam scott is fourth and that's followed by jerry kelly so throw, <sighs> throw you're throwing darts at a dartboard here with a blindfold on man like it is so this course demands so many different things so many different types of shots it doesn't particularly favor one kind of player which is why within the span of a couple of years, Sergio Garcia and Tim Clark were your winners. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's so, you know, it's really difficult to pin down any specific traits that are really significant here. Um, the average ranking of winners in terms of strokes gained the last 10 years at the players championship, basically the average number is worse than the tour average across the board. Meaning that you've just got a big kind of hodgepodge of, of performances that have ended up with the winning score here. So it's really difficult to do. I'm sorry. I know this is supposed to, this is supposed to be a podcast that gives people hope and reasons to make picks so with confidence. It's just not gonna happen here, man. A couple of years ago, Siwoo Kim was like last in every statistic on the PGA tour for the season going into the players, and he won. I mean, it is so difficult to predict this golf tournament.
2: I think it's the toughest one in the world to to nail down. I, I do too. So all of that said, you're First of all, this is what makes a a tournament and a course great is the fact that, hey, you can be a big bomber or a short knocker. You can be an old guy or a young guy. You can be an absolute legend of the game or a one-hit wonder. Those guys have all won here over the last 15 to 20 years. And so it is a hodgepodge of winners. The one constant that I found, and I was doing a little research of my own. You're not the only guy that does research around here. Uh, I was looking into some numbers and in the past decade, which of course past decade only includes nine editions of this event, not 10, because I felt like going back to 2011, because that's where my numbers worked. You you know how, how that stuff happens. And so uh, of the past nine winners, they had all finished 22nd or better in their most recent start going into that edition of the players. And so I think very much like we often say at Augusta, but you'd better have your game when you get to TPC Sawgrass, because if you're trying to find it on that big old range there, that's probably not a good formula for having success that week.
1: One other anecdote about how unpredictable this place is in back to back days in 2016, peak Jason Day shot 63 and the next day Colt knows shot 63. Those are two very, very different skill sets. Colt. There will be no Colt, no slander on this podcast. There sh- and there, nor should there be. What I'm saying is that peak Jason Day bombed the hell out of the ball and Colt did not hit it very far. And yet those two men shot 63 in consecutive days on the same golf course. I mean, that just tells you how tough it is. No Colt, no slander, absolutely not, would not do that.
2: I, I only slander Colt when I text him, which is, uh, and there's plenty of slander going on when we do that. <laughs> uh, great dude, but uh, let's, all right. So let's start with the top of this field. And uh, I, I won't be completely fading everybody, but quite honestly, Jay, Ray, I The top of it, Dustin Johnson coming off a very iffy performance with the final round 78, I believe at the concession a few weeks ago, finished 54th. Bryson DeChambeau just won, but this is a very different golf course that shouldn't suit him. John Rama. I'm very kind of wishy-washy. I, Could Rahm win? Yes. The last time he played here, he became very frustrated down the stretch. I can see this place frustrating him once again. Rory sounded not just dejected, but like despondent after his final round at API. And so I get down to Justin Thomas, and that's the first guy on the board that I actually like.
1: Okay, that's actually the first name on my list I wrote is interesting. Since 2015, Mm -hmm. when JT made his debut here, he has more birdies than any player in this golf tournament. The problem is he also has the second most bogeys of any player. In this yes. So definitely has the potential to go low, just needs to avoid some of those mistakes. I was looking into it. And when he said positive strokes gained off the tee at the player's championship, his scoring average is around like 69.5 mm-hmm. and he's mm-hmm. over par when he has negative strokes gained off the tee. So if he's feeling good with his driver and that doesn't always correlate with JT, he's normally, you know, he's looked at statistically as the best, one of the best approach players in the world. So, um, I think that that's one to keep an eye on another guy towards the top of the board that I thought was really interesting. One here a few years ago, I talked about a minute ago, positive strokes gained in every category this season. So far Webb Simpson does not have a score worse than 73 in 36 rounds this season on the PGA tour. I don't know if he's going to break through and get another player's championship win. That's a really small group of guys who've done that and won multiple times at TPC Sawgrass, but he seems as safe as anybody in that collection of players in terms of I don't think he's going to go out and put out a stinker because he basically doesn't have a bad round, a really bad round um, this season, and even going back to last year. Um, my favorite guy at the top of the board, though, this hurts because I, I wrote it last week and it worked, but he did everything well last week at Bay Hill. He only had one bogey in the final round Sunday at Bay Hill, first in strokes getting off the tee, ninth in approach, but more important to me, 10th in scrambling, 21st in strokes getting putting at Bay Hill. He's won back-to-back events before on the PGA Tour. Bryson DeChambeau is my favorite pick towards the top of the board. I think if you just called everybody player A, player B, player C, you just took the names off and looked at all the different facts by each guy, that's who I would pick. In eight career rounds at TPC Sawgrass, he's never shot worse than 73. And this is before Bryson gained the extra gear uh, in terms of his distance. So if I'm just looking at all those names, for a guy at the top of the board to pick to win – I'm picking Bryson to win for a second week in a row.
2: Okay. I I, look, I was not on him last week and I feel like all the signs were pointing toward him and we should have been on him. He had uh, two top four finishes at API in the last three years. And uh, I I don't think we should certainly write him off. So yeah. uh, Yeah. I will, I will say that you can at least convince me to like him. I'm not sure you can convince me to love him this week, but you, I, I can sit here he and won say, the, okay. Won uh, the
1: first two playoff events of 2018. He can mm-hmm. get on a total heater. Um, and I just think he did everything so well at Bay Hill. And, you know, look, his strokes gained. Putting was his best since the U.S. Open. Um, just across the board, it's just really encouraging trends. And, hey, let's see if he can keep it going. I mean, in his brief history at TPC Sawgrass, he doesn't have a really bad round. That's something I'm really interested in uh, looking at guys this week. Let's go. I'm gonna roll with it again.
2: Okay. Uh, yeah. Again. I, you can convince me with some of that. Um, I'm not totally all in, but I I get where you're going with that. Uh, by the way, use the perfect adjective for Webb Simpson, which is safe. Like Webb Simpson's <laughs> ceiling is high, but his floor is also very high. This week, I like I can absolutely see him playing four rounds of pretty good golf. We never really see much of him, and he finishes T seven. and You're like wait, where did Webb Simpson come from? And he just, he plays well. If you're in like a one-and-done pool and you're like, you know, I don't want to use up like one of the very best players, but I want to use a guy, I think Webb Simpson, will, and I think he'll probably be a very popular one-and-done type player this week. Played really well at concession, too. A tough golf yeah. course. I mean, he was right there on
1: the weekend, had a bad had a bad Sunday. But, um, yeah, no, I'm with you on Webb
2: Simpson. The floor is very high. We have not mentioned my two favorite players, in this top tier uh, guys under 40 to one this week, Patrick Cantley is just due to win something big. Um, I picked him last year, which is very funny because I was picking him this year. And I just happened to last night, go through some of my stuff from last year and just say like, Oh, you know, they never played the event. So I wonder if there's any kind of corollaries that still work. And I clicked on my preview and I say, pick to win favorite outright, Patrick Cantley. And I go, all right, well, I can you know, plagiarize myself then because I, I had him last year and I like him again this year. I, I just think it all kind of correlates really well. And then, do you know, and you probably do, you're probably the one person I could ask this question to that does know the answer to this, but the player who has gained the most official world golf ranking points so far in 2021 is, did I stump you? Tony Fino? Yes.
0: Tony Finau. Tony Fino. You're a
2: Right. Seventeen more points than Colin Morikawa, who's second. This
1: man contends so often, he's going to get to world number one and still only have one win. <laughs> I thought about that a few because this loose is how my mind works. This is these are the things I think about. By the way, like I was like, is there a way for him mathematically to climb? Probably not, but. I'm just, it's just the fact that you're even thinking about it is just a testament to how consistent
2: he is. It's certainly possible. I remember going through the scenarios a few years ago where Paul Casey, and I think there are a few other players over the years that could have done it, but I I specifically remember Paul Casey could have finished second at the tour championship one year, not one on the PGA tour all year and won the FedEx cup, which just would have been the greatest thing ever.
1: I think that might've been the year Horschel won, possibly. Maybe. Maybe the year after. Yeah, no, I, it look it you got to be incredibly consistent to do that. I mean Tony's game travels everywhere. His ball striking numbers are through the roof and we're all just kind of waiting with bated breath to see him right. finally get it done on a Sunday. When, and you were saying a few weeks ago that when he does win, he's probably going to win by like six. It's I'm,
2: very possible.
1: I think yeah. it's just be a floodgates type situation where he runs away with one one of these
2: weeks. Would it sort of feel like Ricky's win back here, what was it, 15, I believe? 15. That's, that was six years ago. I know. I but when Ricky that. won, it was like, we he's good. We all know he's good. We all know he's going to win something at some point. He just hasn't really done it yet. And all of a sudden, where Ricky breaks through, it wasn't a six-shot win. It was a playoff that went to a sudden death. That's a great I mean, playoff.
1: Great playoff. One of the great finishes in, in the last 10 years or Ricky so.
2: Kisner and...
1: See, I was going to give you Kisner. I oh. forget the third. David Lingmurth, maybe.
2: Yeesh. Possibly. Maybe.
1: I'm not going to cheat and look it up, but yeah. it was definitely a three person playoff. It was. It was. It, w- it would kind of feel similar to that, right? Like where you're throwing darts. Yeah, yeah. It, if, if Fina were to win, it would kind of feel that way. Where yeah, yeah. I think it would so. also be an incredibly popular victory. You know, it would be absolutely. a really popular victory, not just with fans but with guys on the tour too. Yeah, so. absolutely.
2: So. I, I went and looked and so over the last nine editions of the players championship on five of those occasions, the winner came from the 40 to one to 60 to one range pre-tournament, which means that I think there's a lot of value in that range. And uh, real quick, looking at bed MGM, uh, I'll just go through the names without the numbers because they're all pretty close to each other. Daniel Berger, Hideki Matsuyama, Patrick Reed, Scotty Scheffler, Tommy Fleetwood, Tyrell Hatton, Jason Day, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Paul Casey, Sungjae J.M., Joaquin Neiman, Louis Oosthuizen. Uh, that's a lot of guys to rip through right there. And, you know, right on the heels of them are some good players as well. Anybody sticking out to you in that, uh, we'll call them the mid-tier uh, of players that uh, uh, it's been a sweet spot at this tournament over the years. I'll
1: tell you one guy I'll cross out in that group, um, which seems mean to do that, but a guy who was really – he's performed great in basically every event except the players in the major championships the last two years. That's Tyrrell Hatton. Oh. And he was wildly inconsistent at Bay Hill, bookend – crazy week, 77, 67, 66, 77. Yep. Clearly yep. he's working on something with his golf swing because that that's – he found it in spurts but didn't quite uh, have it. He has not had great success at the Players' Championship in his um, short career there. Looking through the list, I mean uh, – Patrick Reese's short game is going to travel everywhere. Didn't have a good week at Bay Hill, though. So Didn't a have a good week, week plus
2: there. has no track record whatsoever at Sawgrass.
1: I will say Tommy Fleetwood is among the leaders in a lot of key statistics at the Players' Championship the last few years. Strokes gained Tita Green. He's up there. Birdie average is very high. The problem is that course history doesn't really correlate at all at yeah. the Players' Championship as we were talking about. So, But I think if I've got to pick one guy – Jason Day has been kind of encouraging recently. Mm-hmm. Um, he feels like he might be finally getting healthy, but I think I'll pick Fleetwood out of that group.
2: I like Fleetwood a lot. Oh, by the way, Fleetwood was six over when this tournament was suspended after one round last year. So that that, that gives me the willies a little bit. I think I like bit.
1: Fleetwood a lot last year.
2: Yeah, so, I know. I'm like, uh, I should have gone back and looked at those scores from round one because they're probably going to uh, going to unnaturally sort of help shape opinions. But... I do like Fleetwood. I like Jason Day from there. I like Joaquin Neiman a lot. I think Joaquin Neiman could show up this week. The ball striker on a ball striker's course. And Scotty Scheffler is another guy that uh, coming off finishes of 5th, 20th, and 7th kind of fits the profile for where guys usually are trending in the right direction at this one. Um, let's go just a little bit lower before we get to our DFS lineup this week. Um, I, I think there's a ton of value down the board. Uh, look at the guys outside 61. I'm just going to, I'm going to reel off a couple of names that I like. Will Zalatoris shows up every single week. Again, a ball strikers course. This one could be better than most of the other ones. Most of the other ones have been pretty good for him. Justin Rose is going to scare some people off after that withdrawal on Saturday, this past week, as long as he's healthy, he is trending in the right direction. hundred to one for him at bed MGM, Russell Henley at a hundred to one. I like that. I sort of missed him in a lot of things that I wrote this week, but Cameron Tringali at one twenty-five to one. That's a first-round leader, kind of early pick. Chris Kirk, sort of the same way. I like Chris Kirk a lot this week. Um, that, that's kind of about it. I think you get down into the one fifty to one. I mean, you've got the Gary Woodlands and Brandon Graces and Sebastian Munoz. I mean, there. It is not a uh, a total um, a total lark that you know one of these guys could. Show up this week and very much like Si Wu Kim, who's four hundred to one a few years ago, and actually win this thing.
1: It's a great week to find value way down the board for all the reasons we've been talking about. That it this course doesn't particularly favor one type of skill set. It's not the week in week out where a guy who bombs it is going to have a big big uh, advantage over folks. Uh, you mentioned one of the names that I like, and that's Russell Henley, um, yeah. player who in the fall was really among. Just the best players on the PGA Tour in terms of iron play over the last six to nine months. Um, positive strokes gained in every discipline again, so nothing overly bad that's going to scare you away. Fifth in strokes gained approach this season, thirteenth in tee to green. Second year in a row he's been in the top ten on the PGA Tour in greens and regulation. He's made eight out of ten cuts this season so far. Mentioned the good play in the fall. He had a pair of top five finishes. I think he's interesting. I'm going to even further down the board for another guy who I think is interesting too. He's fourth in birdie average at TPC Sawgrass among all players the last 10 years. Hmm. Harold Varner. Ooh. Harold Varner finished tied for seventh here a couple years ago. Um, positive strokes gained, again, in every discipline, which you think of HB3 as a better ball striker than he is around the greens, but he's positive in strokes gained putting, positive in strokes gained around the green, around 30th in both approach and strokes gained around the green this year. Didn't shoot higher than 73 last week at Bay Hill, finished 21st. first. Uh, Twenty. I, I see him. Plus 22,000. I mean, that's that's some good. I think that's some good value And it. Look, guys have got their first PGA Tour win before. Tim Clark did. Craig Perks did way back in the day. It's not completely unfounded that a guy could break through with his first win here. And he's got the ball striking chops, I think, to do it. That past success
2: here with a tie for seventh place a few years ago. You talk about popular potential winners. You, you mentioned that in relation to Tony. That King is now. the
1: number one note I wrote down too, is I don't know if I'm just in a feel good kind of mood with fans coming back and yeah, golf yeah. kind of being on fire right now, but it would be really popular. You're right.
2: You can tell with PGA tour players now with social media and things like that, where uh, you can tell when a popular guy, when everyone's happy for a guy who wins, like the players themselves forget about the fans the players themselves might blow up social media if harold varner is able to not just win for the first time but win a big one like this and yeah i i, I like it i think it's worth throwing a few darts at some big numbers this week because there is some value out there we're gonna make our uh, dfs lineup in just a second but before we move on here i want to paint a quick picture for you with the help of our friends at athletic brewing company brewers are the most flavorful non-alcoholic beer money can buy Picture this. Last week, you made a long shot bet. Let's say you bet Lee Westwood to win the Arnold Palmer Invitational. And after all it's said and done, he loses to Bryson DeChambeau by one stroke. You're furious. You're heartbroken. Go to your local park, take a walk, clear your head. You start walking on a nature trail, trying to forget all about Lee Westwood, but the trail's in such rough shape. You trip, you roll your ankle, you fall down, you break your phone. It's a total nightmare scenario. I feel like whoever wrote this, Justin Ray. Uh, was not just making this up. I feel like this was a real case scenario. <laughs> Thanks to our friends at Athletic Brewing Company. For years now, Athletic Brewing has been making award-winning beers that celebrate the innovation and flavor of great craft beer, but without the alcohol. And with their Two for the Trails program, they donate 2% of all sales dollars to maintaining trails and parks, often underserved by government budgets. Well-maintained trails and parks are essential for any gambler looking to cool down after a bad loss, And they'll stay that way thanks to Athletic Brewing Company. So if you want to support the show, head to athleticbrewing.com. Check out their selection and place an order using code ACTION15. This gets new customers 15% off their first order. And if you order two or more six-packs, shipping is always free. That's athleticbrewing.com. Use the code ACTION15 on that first order and enjoy the flavor while keeping that gambling edge. And Justin Ray, I just got... A shipment of Athletic Brewing in the mail, and I'm taking my first sip right now. You've got the Cerveza Athletica, I see. Yep, I'm in.
1: And this kind is of, so we got kind of like a Mexican Cerveza. Like I love a, I love like a, a good Mexican beer. In it, Texas, it's
2: boy. got a little pale ale taste to it. Yeah. Okay. That, nice. Solid. Um. Very good. I, I will say it's very good. I I will say that as somebody who I you know what I'll just say it. I, I've I've drank on a podcast before. Drank while sitting on the 16th hole of the Waste Management Phoenix Open at nine in the morning doing a blog for a certain four letter <laughs> company. I have experience in this area and non-alcoholic brewing, uh, with athletic brewing company can, um, can certainly help you keep a job after a while. So uh, no, I didn't lose my job based on any of that, but it, it, you know, non alcoholics probably the way to go. I'm just going to say, play it safe. So. so I'm about to be a dad for the first yes. time
1: and I'm on high alert here in the next six, eight weeks in terms of drive to the hospital duty. So, uh, Some athletic brewing companies, uh, a good idea for me here in
2: the next We will get you some. And the ironic part is that once you are a dad, you're going to need as much alcoholic (laughs) beer as you can get. So we'll
1: we'll, mix in the real ones here and there, too. Yeah,
2: yeah. there you go.
0: (laughs) Want to be a DFS millionaire? You're just one lineup away. We're going to go nose to nose with him. And you're going to play better than you ever dreamed of. Because God damn it, that's what I demand of you. So let's get Drafting. All right, let's
2: get to our DFS lineup. As always, we uh, go through DraftKings and we pick out six players going back and forth. I'll give you the first pick, Justin. Where do you want to go with your pick?
1: First pick, I will go, I'll go with the guy I picked to win again. And at 9,700, down on the board a little bit, I, you know, you'd know, you expect Bryson DeChambeau, I think he's, he's among the, he's either second favorite or co-favorite with DJ going into the week. 9,700 is a great number for me for Bryson DeChambeau. So I'm going to put him as our first pick.
2: All right. I like that. Um, I think we can go deep. Like there, there are going to be some lineups that people make this week. I've already made a few on DraftKings and FanDuel, by the way, where you look at the lineup afterwards and you're like, I just won, right? Like, I know it's Monday, but like, hand me the money. This thing is so good uh, because of the pricing.
1: Gotta go deep. I mean, it's just, you just, there's so much value down on the board because of the total randomness seemingly of the winners of this tournament. It's not, right. I don't say, it's not randomness. It's just varied types of players who could win, I'll say. So I'm with you. You got to go, de- got to go come deep here.
2: All right. Well, I'm going to spend some money to start because there is some value down the board. And I know my favorite play out there, Patrick Cantley this week, 9,200.
1: Okay. 9,200, him to my roster here. All right. I'm going to go back to the guy who I said Positive strokes gained in all the different disciplines. 21st last week at Bay Hill. A top 10 finish a couple of years ago at the Players. Would be a super popular win. Give me Harold Varner, 6,700. That's some value lower on the board. and Give us some more money to play with here with these next three picks.
2: That's a good one. I like that. I'm going to take some value as well. Another guy who played really well, tied for eighth last week. And also a guy to be a great story. And I feel like sometimes the Players' Championship, because it is – the championship of the players it's pga tours flagship event sometimes these stories kind of come out at this event and chris kirk has a nice track record at this one and his ball striking's been solid lately i think there's a little weight lifted off his shoulders uh after he got his his full status at the sony and for those who don't know the chris kirk story uh dealt with sobriety issues dealt with some depression he's kind of been there and back and now in uh in theoretically a very good spot from everything we know and everything he's told us. And so at 7,000 this week, I think Chris Kirk is a very nice play.
1: Okay. I like that. And we've got some, it's got some change left over, but I'm going to leave you yes, sir. with a big amount of money because I really like Russell Henley going into this week. I think yeah. that, I think that his ball striking numbers is uh, the, the fact, like I keep saying the positive strokes gained across the board, nothing's going to particularly kill you. Uh, Russell Henley would fit in terms of, Form this season, not being overwhelming per se, but he's had some good finishes, played pretty consistent in the fall, really good ball striking numbers. Uh, that's going to leave you with $10,000 left, my friend.
2: Well, just as we said last week, I think we are in the same predicament last week where it's like, you left me a perfect number with a guy I really like, so I might as well just not overthink it and uh, just take him. I've got 10,000 left. There's a guy sitting at 9,900 named Justin Thomas, who I think plays oh, really well on this golf course <laughs> and has a really good chance of winning this week. And I am taking him. I, I, think, uh, I think Justin Thomas is playing a little fiery this week. Uh, I think Justin Thomas okay. is um, – he ain't happy about the way things have gone so far this year. He's had a couple of chances, hadn't closed anything out. I think he's getting a little frustrated with himself – and I think he's going to take it out on a field at some point very soon. It could be this week.
1: I think he knows the statistic I, I said earlier the most birdies of anybody, but the most bogeys, the second most bogeys are worse since he made his debut here in 2015. He's a guy who's great at making corrections in his game. It's what the best players in the world do. I think maybe he changes a little bit of his strategy on some of these holes this week. And I, I like him a lot. I like him a lot. I like him to find that elite iron form to put him at the top of the world rankings. Um, I think, I've,
2: once again, we got another winning lineup. I mean, how good Top is the lineup? Bottom. Look, uh, Patrick Cantley, Bryson DeChambeau, Russell Henley, Chris Kirk, Justin Thomas, Harold Varner Third. send it. Uh, I really Price like that Right everywhere. Yeah. Uh, before we go, just because we barely mentioned his name, and I want to get him in here, and he's so polarizing right now, but what do we make of Jordan Spieth right now, and what do we make of him this week where uh, if he wasn't – as much of an enigma rolled in, wrapped up in a riddle already, he comes to TBC Sawgrass where he was fourth in his debut back in, I believe, 15, played really, really well. And ever since then, even when he was playing his best golf, never could figure out this place. 2014, was
1: he made his debut. It was right after he nearly won the Masters. He might have still been a teenager at that point, or maybe he was 20 years old. Uh, bogey free through the first three rounds. I mean, he I didn't think it looked like he wasn't going to make a mistake in his debut at the players' championship. And I think since then he's bogeyed like 20% of the holes he's played since that point at the players. So um my favorite Jordan Speeth stat right now, three top fives in his last four starts. He had three top fives in his previous 70 starts before that. So um, one thing to hang your hat on if you're a Spieth fan and you want to see him succeed going forward, his last four tournaments, he's averaging more than a full stroke gained on approach per round and entering this stretch, he was losing more than half a shot. So when he was at his best, I know we always with Jordan, it was always talking about his putting and all the incredible putts he would make his great short game. Truth of the matter was he was among the five best iron players in the world when he was mm-hmm. at his absolute pinnacle. So um, I think he's getting there. He's getting better. I, this is a really tough place to break through, man. I, I don't know if this is going to be the week, but if you've got some low-hanging stock on Jordan Spieth at Augusta National, the only player in the history of the Masters with a better strokes gained total average than Jordan Spieth is Ben Hogan. So if he's peaking right for the right time, and guys who are in that category where he is three-time major champions are always trying to peak for the big events, that might be something you look at. Ben Hogan
2: ain't walking through that door.
1: <laughs> no, sir. And so if you're looking
2: for somebody for Augusta next month, uh, the odds have changed massively Jordan speed. I believe he was 80 85 to one just a month ago and he's now somewhere in the 20s maybe even just 20 to one to win the masters but for good reason because he is certainly trending in that direction. Cannot wait for this week's players championship the best field in golf and we've broken it all down. He's Justin Ray from the 15th club. I'm Jason Sobel from Golf Bet. Thanks to everybody out there for listening once again. Good luck with all your bets for this week's players and here's hoping you hit the green.
0: finished talking.